welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as we get together because we need to get together. And we get together, we get bigger. We get bigger, we get stronger. We get stronger, well, we have less to fear. If we have less to fear, our hearts grow. Man, that's a good idea. everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak at your weird non-denominational congregation. I will try not to say anything that requires any degree of faith or belief. I won't even say anything that's informative. I won't try to entertain you. But if I don't inform you or entertain you, I'm not sure what to do. Well, maybe I'll just occupy your time. If I do try to entertain you, let's say I tell you a joke, it will also be informative because you will discover the fact that I am not funny. I am not qualified really to say anything anyway. I don't want to be responsible for your mind. I'm not a college professor, say I'm not a psychology professor at one of those what they call tier universities, and so I'm not qualified like they might be to speak on human evolution and the purpose of life and politics and economics and the origins of everything and physics and metaphysics. And then there's something beyond metaphysics, which is this funny kind of parody of physics, using physics, which I don't even understand. That stuff is complicated. You'll see a lot of that on on Big Bang Theory or one of those. And you say, how is that? Is that funny? And I go, it's so beyond funny. It's hard to really describe what it is. It's a lot of things at once. So we can both be watching it and one one of our humor cats can be dead and the other one alive at the same time. Isn't that strange? We can look at the same image and see different things. I want you to direct your attention over my shoulder. I'm glad these a lot of these modern churches, even though this isn't a church or a synagogue or temple or mosque or anything, it's just, well, it's, it's kind of like a room at a hotel. But it does have the big movie screen, which I think is finally a nod and acknowledgement to the fact that this is a type of entertainment, but it's more than that. It's infotainment, but also it comes equipped with something else, which is a sense of tremendous guilt and the overall worldview that there are no innocent lives. So that's, we're starting there. My gosh, I don't know what to do with that information. I feel that makes me a bit of an alien here. Oh my goodness, I have too much Sympathy, perhaps. I've been told that you're too, you're too kind. And when people tell me that, I slap them, I punch them in the throat. No, I don't do that. But the thing that keeps me from doing that is not necessarily kindness. Oh, no, not always. 
Oh, I tell you, because behind all that desire to slap and punch and eye poke, and yes, I did watch the Three Stooges and sort of want to do that to people. I knew that uh, my knowledge that the pain would outweigh the gain kept me from doing it. I don't know now that there's any real, not that kind of eye poke anyway. Not the unpremeditated, I do a peace sign, ironically, and then the ends of the peace sign come thrusting into your eyes like a Wing Chun move. This is advanced Wing Chun, Pong Pao. Not, I don't want to make fun of it. I'm trying to, you know what? Because I know the eye gouging thing in Wing Chun and I just can't remember the name of it. And I remember that Robert Downey was on a show and he was talking about his Wing Chun practice and they, they said, show him stuff, show us stuff. And he goes, I can't. I've moved to the level where you can't, I can't show you without actually putting your eye out. So that's incredible. I wish I was at that level with anything. I cannot demonstrate my powers of persuasion because they are so, they can only be used once. They're nuclear. Because once I flip you over, you're done. And uh, why is that? Well, because I have a slight disadvantage speaking to most people, and that's because I have not been there for countless thousands of generations to change the way that you think about the world. So that's not going to happen. I'm fighting the ancestors sometimes. Well, don't you have ancestors too? Thank you, sir, for asking that from the back row. And uh, I hope we don't have one, one of those things where we just start having a conversation. Have you ever been in a class so small that it really is just the professor and someone in the back row are just having a private conversation? And yes, that happens. I always think maybe there's too many classes or too many schools when that you go, oh, there's no one else in this class. There's no one interested. And then I think, if one mind, and that's all, I, I guess that's as far as I get. <laughs> but I know, that, I know that there's something special about just a few people. I have been in front of uh, just a small amount of people so many times. I guess it's the equivalent of once... I feel like I've one time been in front of a stadium crowd, but spread out over thousands of performances. So that's what, three? Or something, not even, oh, less than that. But bless you, we're supposed to be here. I finally figured out that my calling really was to just go to your house and we'd talk on the couch. And that would be better than save people time than renting a venue. And I feel like you've come... But you were going to have this service anyway, is my understanding, that y'all meet here on a regular basis. Why? Because your hearts crave something, and you're not sure what it is. And you are envious of those who can find some sort of peace in ritual or some sort of knowledge from words delivered in a certain way. And so I'm doing that, and I'm trying to do it in an affected way. I'm trying to do it in a dramatic way. Because sometimes I think it's the music of the words and not the content. Here's the reason I think that. I enjoy songs that are sung in other languages that I do not understand. Now, often, not maybe often, sometimes the lyrics may not be something that I agree with or promote or something. And here I am humming along. But... That tune, even the word, even the singing, the voice of the singer can affect me even if I don't know what they're saying. So, so you take someone like, uh, song, what's a song in another language? Like something like R.E.M. Or where you go, or, or any kind of like, or, or uh, grunge or something where you're, where you're mm, I don't know what they're saying. Or some, I guess these are all in English, so that's a bad example. Scratch that. Let's say, oh, I know. Let's say we're listening to Japanese metal. Now, um, I like some, ja I'm like you. I'm, I'm so, my tastes are eclectic. So I like a little of this. And so I might, I go, yes, I know. I like some Maximum the Hormone, but I don't listen to a lot of it. So I like Boris. I don't know if that's, that's kind of, but those are all ones that we know. And I don't know how many of you speak the language, but I, even if I did, sometimes I don't know what's going on. And I like I enjoy it. There's something visceral. 
let's say it's like it's Muppet metal or something, the Cookie Monster metal, and it, you know, you might not know what they're saying, but that's not the point. So if I was to make the, let's say I'm going to make like church announcements and tell you, like when the new, okay, here's a, pres, a Presbyterian minister, the assistant minister, he's very elderly, merit, emeritus, and he's up there and he's going to deliver the, uh, uh, just all the info, and they're like when different circles meet, and so he's going to announce uh, that's it. That's my impression. But that's how it'd sound. Now, he just gave you the instructions for when the Dorcas circle was going to meet. And I don't know what they discuss. Um, people find ways to get together. Let's start a, a club or something. And you'll wonder what it's really for. I think it's because we just are drawn to be with others a lot of times in peace. It's a beautiful thing. We feel safe. We also feel as if they share the same worldview, that they're there to take care of us too. So we say, let's have a book club. And we'll all read a book. But the real reason is so you can be smiled at by other human beings. So you can be in a group to stave off loneliness. Oh, you know, I tell you what, I haven't accomplished much in my life. I'm not putting myself down. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Didn't set out to, so don't feel, I don't feel bad. But if I have ever helped someone not be lonely, oh, I don't discount that. Can you imagine putting that on your resume? I was over hearing a, a young man on the phone, and I couldn't decide whether he was interviewing for a job or a date. And he said, tell you my strong points. Well, one of them is I, I don't give up. So I don't know what he was talking about. It could have been a threatening call. Oh, well, that seems like a neutral. I'm tenacious. Like a, like a dog that grabs uh, an elderly person and won't let go. So, see, it just depends. Now, uh, my strong suit maybe is just existing. Or maybe I found like maybe it's going somewhere uh, trying to overcome a fear so that I can have that experience of being smiled at by others. If I was going to share the room with anybody and say, what would I want to be? What kind of group of people would I want to be in? Would I want to be in a group of people who uh, were uh, angry a lot or angry at each other a lot or were prone to violence? It might be if I was trying to test my combat skills. Say, so take me to the roughest bar in town. I want to go to a room so full of disappointment you can smell it, that I'll have it on my clothes, that the desperation will stick to my garments, and then I'll have to wash them out with vinegar and prayer. Take me to that place. Show me your angriest and mightiest of those who both fear and rage. Take me to a room filled with those who have had injustice done to them and have responded with ten times the injustice to others. Now, I'm in a rumble mood. But now, normally, I would say take me to a place that believes that people and their pain matter, that there are innocents, that we come into this world without any knowledge of what's gone on. Now, the most, uh, I'm going to have to whisper this part because I don't want to, and this will really offend people. I'm sorry, this is one of the most offensive things that you can possibly say to some people. And that is, I think that a new, a child comes into this world um, not owing any debt, that they are, they haven't done anything <laughs> yet, that it, nothing is their fault. And that is very, that's difficult because there's some people that need there to be a fault, 
to make all life uh, sort of worthless. And if you want it to be redeemed, you got to do these things. Boy, if I could get you to thinking you owed me something without us ever having met, I wonder what I'd get from you. I'm not real greedy. I'd probably just get like $5 each, maybe. Something small like that. I don't want to hurt you. Now, why don't I want to hurt you? Do you, you feel what I feel? No, only if I let myself. And uh, I don't always let myself because I can't always, so I have to shut off my feelings. Oh, when did you discover you could do that? And you can. You can feel something that other people are feeling. You can feel their pain or joy in anything. Oh, we use it all the time. It's one of our greatest powers. We have it in some degree. All of us in a different degree. Some of us misuse a little bit of our understanding, but we all suffer. So we can all get from point A to point B. I can figure out that your suffering probably is, feels like mine. I've, I've, I see you've got a burn. Oh, I've had a burn. I know what that feels like. I can sort of imagine. So I can sort of imagine your pain, and sometimes I need to do that to set myself straight. But sometimes it becomes overwhelming. You've got to shut it off, say, I'm not going to feel, I'm going to put on the armor. I'm going to inure myself to the feelings and others, lest I be destroyed. Now, you might shut that off and then forget it's off. Boy, you could go years with that off. And you can walk around and feel like you're making good judgments. I'm making better judgments because I'm not having to feel anything. Boy, I'm not breaking down. I'm not crying. I'm saying that. Oop, yes, that's a tragedy. But I'll tell you what, I'm thinking clearly, which is good. I got my feelings off. So I can make I can make these calls now. There was a time, oh, there was a time that I would feel a person's pain, and then, then what? Do you know how much there is? Oh, my gosh. If you, and some people don't want to use it at all, and bless you, I understand that. That's why sometimes I don't even, I, I don't, I'm, I'm loath to be specific. I start talking about someone who's lost a child. And, oh, that's too much for my heart. Here's the thing, you can adjust it a little bit. So I'm not, what I'm not doing is I'm not spocking you. I am not thrusting my hand up to your face and shoving into you the entire full yellow millet dream experience of another's misery and grief. Oh, no. There's a, there's a, a whole movie theater between us, and then there's a screen, and then you just two-dimensionally feel it. But here, have a little taste. Take a little taste of the pain of someone who has lost a child. Maybe you have one, so I can't go there. Imagine just for a second. I will break. Let yourself break. Because there's two types of broken. There's the broken that happens when I think about that thing, and then if it happens to me, that's being pulverized. Now, if you break, you can get all the pieces together and glue them back. If some of them are crushed into dust, you can never be repaired. And there is grief in this life and there is pain that can never be undone. And what that does, even conceptualizing that, trying to think about it to the human brain. Oh. And then you see, oh, if this happens to multiple people, what level is that? Can I put my, I can't do it. I'm so lost. I got to shut it off. Let me shut it off again. Oh, no problem. Let's all shut it off. I'm going to tell you a story and this about Shemp's butt. Let's all imagine Shemp Howard and he's just, he's just sat on something hot. Don't, but don't try to, oh, burn, he's burned himself. No, no, no. He's pretending. Um. Or maybe he's got something uncomfortable. There we go. So it's still Shemp, but now he's got an insect in his underwear. 
and it's not a biting one. <coughs> let's make it. A, let's say it's a stink bug. I'm glad you got water on this pulpit, boy, because I tell you what, and I apologize. I know there's so few people here. A lot of you are sitting way, way in the back, and I sort of understand that. I completely understand that. You don't know me. You don't know if I spit when I talk. This could be some sort of Gallagher or Shamu saliva hazard. So I know the front row, I'll give you something to put on yourself. I'll give you some sort of plastic poncho or a large sheep of Vesquin, if you'd like. Or you can just sit way back there. That's fine, too. Can you hear me? Better yet, can you feel me? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's open our books. Everybody has a different book, so let's just open them up. Let's, take, let's open our books right now and look down at them so you don't have to look at me. And you don't have to pretend you're listening. I do find that difficult when I'm speaking to people. They're looking at me. Sometimes expressionless, sometimes they feel the need to make an expression, sometimes they will nod in agreement, other times they will subtly shake their head in disagreement. And it's hard not to process that in real time, or take it as a criticism, or become lost in the praise. Oh, you're agreeing with me. I'm going to keep you nodding. I love that nodding. I like when you like me. Let's see, what am I going to do? Try to read your mind. I'm going to try to read your mind so I can say all the things you want me to say. Now, that is largely how we do entertainment, isn't it? Say, ah, we have to anticipate what the audience wants to hear. Consider this, if you will. So I've done all kinds of listening in my life, and one is I have listened to plays or movies or things like that in which the words have been painfully examined and rewritten and structured so that they convey something particular. If it is a traditional sitcom, there is an actual formula how many laughs per minute you need and what they have to be spaced and everything like that. It's and I mean this in quotations and, ironically, an art form. Now, there is another way of being entertained by people speaking, and that has been found things or conversations. Now, uh, tip of the hat to the weatherman, but there is something about listening to two people speak on the phone without knowing their, bless their hearts, without knowing they're being recorded, that becomes realer than real because nothing is being added or subtracted with regards to an audience. There's no anticipating. It's just two individuals doing that to one another, trying to communicate. Can you imagine? But I've, I've come to you to speak with with you, I've come to speak with you, and before we speak, I've done a little research. I know it seems like we're just meeting here on the train, but what I did is I looked up a bunch of stuff without you, about you before I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to, oh, I don't know, you know, get a feel of what you're into and all that kind of thing. So I'd have some kind of idea. On talk shows, you know, they would do pre-interviews. So let's say you're going to go out and talk to Johnny. So now when you go out and talk to Johnny, we're, we're wondering what, uh, what are some of the, let's say, what are, have you had a funny story happen to you? Um, uh, not, well, not recently. Well, we were listening to your act and you said something about, it's not an act. Well, we were listening to whatever it is you do and you were saying uh, something about a small um, Larry uh, statue at a tobacconist. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, I did say that. In the, I was just telling a story. Um, yeah, did you want me to tell that story? It's not, it's not really a traditional story with the beginning and middle and end. Oh, yeah, but I think uh, Johnny will laugh at it. Will he? Oh, and you say, whenever you just say Three Stooges, you're going to get a little giggle. Oh, all right. Yeah, because you're, like, you're taking it seriously enough to talk about. Oh, okay, all right, so tell, do that one. What else should I talk about? Well, now, Johnny is going to ask you some questions about, I don't know, complicated ethical questions. Oh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm prepared for that. Well, just answer them in just kind of strictly 
traditional utilitarian way. Turn your feelings off. That's best on TV. And don't, don't get emotional because we just had Jack Parr on again and it was a mess. All right. Oh, I will try to speak to you with my feelings off. I can't do it. I gotta have them. Everything is on. I don't know how to work this thing, so I flip all the switches to on. And I know that's not good. That fella's always on. But that means I'm being phony or something. I'm not, I'm not that kind of on, I don't think. I'm not always performing. I'm just, you have no filter. I don't, I don't think I came with one. I don't know if we come with a filter. I don't know that we come with filters. And I'll tell you, to extend the analogy, and I like to do that. I like to take things like that, uh, analogies, and I like to extend them so far that it doesn't make any sense. Because where's this all this stuff you filter? Where does it go? Because like on, on a real filter, it becomes problematic. Like it doesn't make things disappear. It, it makes them accumulate. And then they accumulate, listen to this. A filter is one of the one of few things that does this, that goes from doing its job to failing if it's been doing its job. So it was designed to wear out, to fill up. And so what I did is I just took all the filters off and you don't even really, you don't super notice it, I don't think. If, you've, if you know, you go, uh, oh, I'm going to take my air, air conditioning filter out and I know I should get a new one. But it's, well, right now it's doing okay without one. And you're probably doing horrible damage eventually. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's better than having to blow the bad stuff back in, right? And I thought that might buy filters. I go, am I filtering things out or am I just, are they accumulating? Maybe I should just let them out incrementally instead of trying to, to ban them. So what are, so the larger chunks of my thinking are the ones that are gone. You're just getting the liquid. You're getting the way. You get the way, and I get the, the curds until I've sort of got some internal cheese ideas. And, you, and you've got, you know, you've got way, which I don't even know what I'm trying. I know the only thing that people do with way is try to get the, what little curds are left in it out, I think. And then the rest you pour on the catter. I don't know what you do with it. But, you know, curds, all sorts of things. Press them, don't press them, age them, age your ideas. That's what I'm doing. I'm aging ideas till they're really hard and they get a nuttiness to them. And then they get little white proteins, little things on it. Goes that mold? That's not mold. That's crystallized proteins on it, like, like par- Parmesan. And they're interesting. And so that is really how thought works. And so let's say you have two individuals that say, oh, here's a moral dilemma. I don't know. I have all these people in the boat. Okay, here's my moral dilemma. Either I kill five of them or I kill four of them. I call it the killing dilemma. How do I, what's the best, what's the most moral? You are asking questions in an interesting way. I'm getting some insight into the way you see the world. Isn't that interesting? How can we do as little killing as possible? Oh, I don't know anything. All I know, all I can be is a witness. Let's say this is a trial. Let's say we're all sitting in a heavenly chamber. Now, there are some that says, I'd make a good lawyer in the heavenly chamber. I want to speak up about injustice. I want to go there before, let's say there's a God or some head of the universe, and that's the judge or some ultimate judge. Maybe I could even be the judge, they say. I could at least be a lawyer. And what, what are you, they would ask me. What are you in this great hearing, this great trial for humanity? And I go, oh, I'm one of the, I'm a witness, but not an expert witness. Just an eyewitness who was there. And what do you have to testify? Are you here for the prosec- prosecution or the uh, defense or the defense accusation? Well, probably the third one, but I'm just here to tell you what I saw. I, don't, I haven't drawn any conclusions because, as you see in your notes right there, it says I'm dumb. So I'm going to stick with that, too, because there's a lot of things I've done. I like myself just like I, like, I have friends who are dumb. I love them, too, but I'm not going to lie to you. So here's the thing. This is what I saw. 
I saw like different types of suffering, uh, some of which I couldn't tell you the cause of, and other which was pretty evident to me. I will leave this world not knowing what death is and why it's necessary. I will not know how to deal with losing somebody I love. I do not understand grief, but I am a witness to it. I am a witness to the pain of loss. I am a witness to the pain of cruelty, that there are different types of loss. I could watch an uh, elderly person go to sleep for the last time, and I would feel pain in my heart, but not the pain that I saw some innocent suffer to be frightened, to be to experience te- terror, grief, pain, loss, all at the same time. That is uh, next level, and I witnessed it, and I watched other people pretend that they couldn't see it and make excuses for the uh, nuclear-level pain unleashed in the universe that we bring to one another, and we're all related. And I guess nobody hates each other like family. What is it? And why do we hate ourselves so much? I don't understand it, and I did see it. So I'm thankful for the little switch that let me check out and uh, watch some of these wonderful channels they have now with TV shows that I remember as a child when I felt safe. And I feel a little bad as an adult human being that I have not taken up a magical gold sword and gotten on my flying robo-beast and fought against the forces of evil. Uh, but I am a rather overwhelmed with confusion as I lose the ability to connect with those who are like me, other creatures, other humans. You know, you say, let's say if you were, could you imagine, and you'd know that science fiction helps us visualize these things. You're across the universe and you walk into one of these Star Wars cantinas where there's species, oh, so many species like to get wasted. Oh, that's pretty discouraging. Thinking the universe is like everybody. There isn't one, uh, not one race of sentient creatures who doesn't just want to get totally blitzed and forget their troubles. Wow, that's awesome. So you go to this, and then across the room you see another human. What's your thoughts going to be like? Hey, sibling, my sibling. Probably going to be, oh, no. There's another. You know, I don't know if I, I wonder wonder who else feels that way. Monkeys might feel that way. Like they're hanging out and go, "Uh uh-oh, another monkey. I'm in trouble. Cats might do that. Like, oh, now there's two of us. That's problematic. I wonder if cats, I don't know if cats feel like they don't like cats. I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. I don't make general statements like that. I don't, consequently, you're not going to be quoting me a lot. You know what Hardy says? What, the opposite the next week? Yes, basically. I remember you once said, sometimes people say that to me, and I'll say, well, I'm, I'm, that's fantastic. I can't remember saying it. That is, that's, that's disconcerting. I wonder if I believed it, or just one of those things that came out as I was randomly combining sentences. There's a lot to chance. There's a lot to not knowing what's going to happen next. That makes things interesting. So when I'm seeing a movie, I do like movies that I haven't seen before that aren't sequels, that I don't know what's going to come next, that I have no real anticipation, and I wonder if they were even thinking about me when they made the movie. Because some of these movies now, they think about the audience almost exclusively, and not just the audience, the ones they know are going to like it. So they say, what do they need in here? And they make a checklist of things to put in. So, I mean, cooks must do that too. And I understand that, you know. 
Do you want, then when they ask you, do you want the, veg, the vegetarian meal or whatever we give you on the plane? They used to say the type, you know, do you want, do you want the chicken, the beef, the vegetarian meal, the vegan meal? I'd love all those options. It'd be nice if they would recognize that that's one of the most important things to human beings, that it's more than sustenance, food, that it's a way of showing that you care about somebody, how you feed them. And you can see that degree of care coming in. Well, you hungry? Yeah. Oh, here's some cardboards, organic. You know, that's, that's pretty low. That's about a one on the compassion scale. And then 10 would be like, I'm going to make you the festive stew that we make when we have blessed visitors. And that's more than just meeting your needs, isn't it? That's an acknowledgement of, of your importance just as a human being. And when we see stuff like that, we're touched and we're like, oh, oh, I wish my culture was like that kind of bit. I think that one, sometimes I don't mean to bring the Bible up, but it's, uh, I can't think of another example. But you have somebody like Father Abraham. When this story was presented to me as a young person, saying, oh, he is welcome and let anybody in. I go, well, not nowadays. It's scary nowadays. And they go, nowadays? He couldn't call the police. People had knives. He didn't know what he, you know, nowadays you think it's scary. This is like letting people into your campsite on the Appalachian Trail. It's risky. So I hope it's mythical because, boy, it would have been, he probably would have dead the first time. But the whole point is that he is uh, open and inviting. And then that's his real, his strength is this uh, sort of parenthood, the seeing people as all of us children, deserving of the same care. And uh, the idea that I could condemn somebody for some small part of who they are or some idea that they have that I don't like and let this this fact of their humanity let that be ignored and preemptively make them my enemy oh all that can go wrong Oh, this may be the source of the badness. Oh, I'll tell you, I don't think it makes me weak. I, I don't think it makes me weak to love bravely. I don't think it makes me weak to see the uh, fear and the innocence in all hearts. I don't think that makes me weak at all. Because I'll tell you what, if there's an enemy, it's bigger than anything that I can shoot or stab or whip. I can't cut up the enemy that I'm pledged to destroy. Let's see you shoot a demon. They ain't in anything. They have no substance. Their substance is no greater than my words. Can you see my words? You hear something coming out of my mouth. Can you see it? It goes into your ear. What is it? Pull it out. Can you? It isn't bugs. It isn't bees. It's something invisible. And it has a life that is bigger and more permanent and more immortal than any organic thing that it finds itself entangled in. And that is my enemy. My enemy are the ideas that poison us, that blind us, that make us forget our ties, that make us ignorant to the fact that we are one. We are one family. We are one creature. We are one force. We are one delicate life. We are one, and we have been separated to experience the magnificence and terror 
of this universe. And there is a key to surviving it, and that is to open all the eyes until we see clearly each other's humanity, our life, our ability to create and destroy. And one of the things that we can create is a peace, is a love, is a near paradise for one another. Oh, I'm sorry. How? How? How do you know how to speak French? Um, should I tell you how to speak French? Yeah. It's going to take a while. That's what you're asking. How to speak French. It begins right now. It lasts a lifetime. It's ongoing. It's a commitment to learning and understanding. It's a commitment to listening and speaking. It's a commitment to memory. Oh, memory. And naming. And translating. And trying to understand and trying to communicate. If you're asking me how to repair the world, you're asking me how to speak French. And so now you know your answer. I'm motivated take French class? That's one of many ways. Oh, we are taking French class right here. You're listening to my voice because you already know that answer. You knew that repairing the world and repairing hearts starts with a commitment to go on that journey of learning and communicating and building your vocabulary and enhancing your memory and trying to remember, not forgetting. Remember, so much of justice is memory. Oh, if someone seeks to suppress justice, they will promote forgetting. You need to forget that happened. And they will try to erase your memory and you will keep it current. How do you keep the current, the memory of suffering and joy? Oh, I'll tell you, if you threw the baby out with the bathwater when you got rid of your religious tradition, and I'll tell you that's tempting to do, there's one part that you may have destroyed that you needed, and that is the fact that you can recreate, reenact, remember the past, the bad parts and the good parts. You can re-examine them like you're walking through the holodeck of the Star Trek boat, ship, area, holodeck. Did I say that? And you say, now I remember, I'd almost forgotten. I almost forgot why I'm doing this. And that happens to me all the time. I forget why I'm talking to people. Why, why am I, I forgot what I'm doing? I forgot why I'm doing this. And then I try to imagine somebody sitting there listening to me, and I think, I wonder what they're going through. And I think, well, maybe they've had loss. Maybe they've had a joy. Maybe they've had struggling. And I let just a little bit into me. I'm not going to get all of it anyway. I'm not worried. I let a little bit into me. I go, oh, I remember now I'm here. You know? It's like if you went into a dream to do something like in those movies. If you pop into a dream and you're going to do some work in a dream, you need somebody in your ear going, you're in a, you're in a, you're in a dream doing work. Okay. 
don't forget you're in the you're down and you went down into the into the um into the matrix dream thing but are we still here i'm here in the control room all right because i almost forgot almost got almost lost myself i forgot i forgot why i came here for a minute oh my goodness i hope i've done some good or something I don't know how many people, gosh, I wish I did know what I was doing. I wish I did have something to tell you. I, okay, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I saw one of those old Tonight Shows. And they show them on one of these channels now everybody has, and it's free. And they show the same few dozen ones. Man, I don't even think they have that many. And the reason I know this is because I went looking for one of the celebrities who's no longer famous that I saw on one of these shows. And then I saw other people had been searching for that same celebrity based on having just saw it now. <coughs> Not originally. So we were all just going there based on a memory. We were all just doing things based on a memory that was recent. Not from a long time ago. To find out, whatever happened to, how did that story play out? What was the end of all that? I saw an episode recently and it had on the actor Burt Mustin. Now you would know him because if you're a certain age because although he did not start in television and movies until 1951 at the age of 68, he had a 25-year career. He lived to his mid-90s. And he was old-looking, impossibly old-looking, right out of the gate at 68. He had kind of a thin face. He had an aquiline nose, which I hope I'm saying it means uh, the hawkish, like an eagle. He had, uh, you know kind of deep-set eyes, bald, and he was jolly. So he looked really old. He played the old bank guard on Andrew Griffith's show. He was on many things. He'd be on Dragnet going, I told those old kids to get out of there, kind of thing. And he was very funny, and he was very sharp. When he told a good joke on The Tonight Show, will you tell the joke? I memorized it kind of, and I told it to a friend, and they were like, I don't get it. So, no, I'm not going to. But I laughed. I thought it was very clever. I love clever old man jokes. And I don't know what the point is there, except that this he was dead in two years after this particular Carson experience, uh, appearance. And I've seen that many times, knowing the future while I'm watching this old show. And that's a very interesting feeling. And I try to imagine it happened now when I watch things. So I'll watch somebody on a show, like a celebrity, and I'll think, I wonder if they'll be dead in two months. I wonder if some tragedy is about to befall them. And this happens with all of us. All of us, we don't know. I don't know when I'm meeting you at what stage in your life. I don't know what's already happened or what's yet to happen. That's the thing with me being a time traveler. Are you really? Oh, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. You tell me whether I am or not. Let's say I know the entire total of your life. I know what happened at the beginning. I know how it ends. I know the whole thing. Do I know anything about you? Could I tell you anything? Could I warn you off of anything? Could I steer you in a certain way? What can I do besides look? So all these paradoxes that they talk about in time travel, what paradoxes? If you're time traveling, that's probably how things always were. I wonder if anything is popping into existence or whether it's all caused. Who knows? We don't know. I'll get together with my artist friends and we'll go, you know, is there free will? And we'll think about it and we'll go, yes, there is, but then there isn't. So maybe, you know, things do, one thing follows after another, but then occasionally something pops in from another universe and interrupts the causation, the chain of causation. Do you think that happens? We go, yeah, <laughs> it does, you know. Click, click, gurgle, gurgle. That's my, that was my friend's bong sound effect when he was being derisive. I heard you over there. 
click, click, gurgle, gurgle. You go, what? You go, just come over. Um, so, uh, you know, but I don't, we don't have any evidence. We don't know what we're talking about. But I think the reason that we're sitting around there talking about it as artists is because we just can't figure it out. Where's it coming from? Who's causing things? My heart and so many other people's hearts yearn for love, yearn for peace, yearn for connection. And to look into the eyes of someone filled with hate and destruction that they're bent on is baffling. How did it get there? Is there, is there something I can do besides die by your sword? Is there anything I can do to help? Because, gosh, it just feels so off. I just don't feel like my death would make your life better, but it might, maybe it would. I don't know. You gotta, do you really have to destroy my whole village to, you know, to, uh, to feel better? I mean, you know, I guess you guys... You know, do what you got to do, I guess. You know, I'm sorry that, you know, we have to be destroyed and everything. See, I don't, all of it's so bizarre to me. And you can try to track in your mind how things happen. And, oh, actually, human beings are very predictable, aren't they? Are they? Really? Gosh, I don't know about that. I mean, I know things keep happening, but, you know, they keep changing who it is. I don't know how predictable it is. Some things you see coming, some things you don't, and everything in hindsight is always 2020. So if they were so predictable, people would be, you know, predicting them, basically. And uh, all I knew is I'm not ever going to lie about what's in my heart. I can't. I, I'm not going to add to it. If you, uh, if the problem is that you think that I am not suffering or I'm incapable of feeling or I have no fears or I think I'm better than you, let me disabuse you of that right now. And I know that I can speak for, actually, I speak for thousands. I know that. So just to clear that up, you know, I don't know if that was the problem, that you were thinking it's the opposite, that I wasn't really alive or had no feelings. Or all these people are robots, whether they're unaffected by death, whether they don't love their children. That is, it's uh, getting to the point you can't appeal to people's uh, sentiment even. It's, a hard, it's harder and harder to find something that you say, well, if you at least think about uh, you know, this poor soul. Nothing works. Some, some have hearts that are so hard. Now, if you have a heart and you're listening to me and you're going, this guy's an idiot, can I hug you? Can, I, can we just like privately, let me just hug you. Break down in my arms, please. You know, because I'm, I'm worried. Please, break down in my arms. I know there's so much you want to feel you can't feel. You're going to get crap from others or something, but come here. Come here. It's okay. You can be the, the, the most powerful being on earth and be crushed by grief or, or pain or, or something. Just come on. You. I'm talking to you with a hard heart who thinks I'm an idiot. I am an idiot. But I also speak for everybody who's ever lived. Come on now. Yes, it does hurt. It is confusing. You don't know what's going on. You're afraid of others you love dying. You're afraid of dying yourself. Come here. You don't know me. No one's going to see this. Break down in my arms. Go ahead. Let it out. Let it out. Cry out. You will gain from it. You will, you will see that you have uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That when you when you when you let that that's the all you say Obi just lost because he's broken, no he just broke open. He just hatched. 
And he's now he's next level. Now he can't be destroyed because he's become one with all the feelings. He's become one with the pain and the joy and the ecstasy. And he's acknowledged it. And then his, his fear dissipates. You know, because he, uh, he's submerged in it. You're soaking in it. Oh, I'd love to saw that. You know what palm olive does? It softens your nails. Now, you don't want them soft all the time because then you may be able to, you go to scratch your face and your nails would fall off or something. Ugh. I mean, so you need them a little. But so when Madge is going to cut them, though, she likes a little pliable. So she's basically Madge is soaking your fingernails to make her life easier. And that is also why I want to soak your fingernails a little bit. So that when you go to scratch my eyes out, it'll just be like you're tickling them with feathers. Because of your, of your dishwashing liquid softened nails. Head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. All that we see on the outside is dead. All of it dead. We walk around in this shell, this finite shell, infinite spirits longing to connect with hearts ready to create, to join up with other hearts and create universes, to create heavens and paradises. And here they run into other crusty shells and we can't break through. Oh, we can break through. How? Those demons use it. They use it to break through. They are invisible and break through with words. They break through with images. We will use it for our angels. We're going to take our angels and we're going to send them up, spit them into the air like words. And they're going to float out there and they're going to surround you. My words have angels on them and they will fly into your room right now. And you're going to be enveloped by those wings. Is it real? It's as real as words are real. It's as real as feelings are real. If you're shaking right now and you feel some warmth and love and acceptance around you, that's real. It's not spooky or supernatural. It's just what happens when words get through to you, when ideas get through to you, when another human soul, me, touches your human soul. It's very ordinary, really. It's really very mundane. But I've just used it to create a comforting angel who can lift you up and, and, and caress your heart and give you a little more lightness, allow you to put yourself back together again so that we can go out and get broken together again. I'll stand here and guard you oh, while you recover from that hug. It doesn't make you mushy. It doesn't make you mushy-brained. It makes you aware. It makes you a shepherd that knows every single one of those sheep. They're numbered and known. Being ignorant, avoiding things, that doesn't make you good for much. You don't know where all the sheep are. You might be carefree. But they're going to perish and you'll perish. Count everybody. Bring them all in. Bring all the souls in. Gather up all the pieces. Sweep up the dust of those who've been completely crushed. We'll do something with it. We'll add water to it. We'll make it into clay again. We'll repair. We'll heal. I will, I will put my finger in that missing piece so that you can hold something again. So that you can be filled up again, not so empty. You are listening to Miracle Nutrition. You get it now with Hardy White on WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, 91.9 in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online at WFMU.org. Worldwide, everywhere in the world, hearts coming together of people knowing each other. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to be here with you. And I will see you again next week.
Twins' name was Ebony. Her name was Mahogany. 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 Twins' name was Ebony. Thank you. 